You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with Judicial Watch's weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. A lot going on this week. We have this major caravan or invasion, as some might put it, heading towards America. I'll be talking to you about some startling developments related to that. Plus, Judicial Watch is taking action, trying to get justice for Justice Kavanaugh over the corrupt acts taken against him to try to destroy his confirmation or his ability to be on the Supreme Court. Judicial Watch filed a major ethics complaint in that regard, plus some news on the Clinton email scandal, a big court hearing last week that I have details about, plus new disclosures this week further confirming the sham FBI investigation into the Clinton email issue. But first up, I think I'll talk about is the, the crisis at the border. Now, it's not exactly at the border, but it's heading that way, and it's a so-called caravan of thousands of uh, illegal aliens or wannabe illegal aliens who are trekking uh, from Honduras, supposedly, up through Guatemala. They're trying to pour through the border at Guatemala and Mexico and head up to the United States. And uh, it's, it's an... Um, it's disturbing to see. Uh, there are thousands of these individuals, uh, most seemingly a lot of men, and uh, it's a really th- it's a major threat to our sovereignty to have this type of situation go on unchecked. And President Trump is reacting strongly to it. He's threatened to withhold aid of any countries that aid and abet this, and he's also threatened to deploy the military uh, to secure our southern borders. Now, personally, I've thought. We should have deployed our military to secure our southern borders uh, 15 years ago uh, because the idea that we have civilian security at the border just isn't working anymore. Uh, It's not stemming the flows of illegal aliens into our uh, border, into the United States at the southern border. It's, um, It's just no barrier to those who want to get here. And those people who want to get here aren't just so-called families uh, trying to get a better life. They include drug smugglers, they include potential terrorists, other threats to our national security, sex traffickers, uh, gangbangers, MS-13 types, uh, and generally speaking, human traffickers, which are the uh, individuals that benefit the most from this illegal, mass illegal immigration invasion that's been going on for years now, unchecked at the border, more or less. Now, the president wants to build a wall, uh, which may be necessary, but it won't be sufficient. As I said, you need to deploy the military to secure our border. That's what we have a military to do, and I think that can be done. It can, uh, the military can work with uh, Border Patrol and other civilian law enforcement uh, to hand over anyone that's caught, uh, but we need military assets on our border if we're serious about the security threats from that part of the world. And there are security threats. Judicial Watch's Corruption Chronicles, uh, it's a blog we have on our internet site at judicialwatch.org. It's one of the great blogs that we put out, exclusive information oftentimes about government corruption. Uh, We highlighted a big story uh, out of Guatemala where the president of Guatemala, President Morales, uh, confirmed that he had recently, um, his country had recently arrested uh, 100 ISIS terrorists, 100 ISIS terrorists in Guatemala. 
This is the same region now where this caravan is convening to uh, invade the United States. And uh, this was reported in Guatemala, but of course you won't hear about this in the mainstream media, and that's why Judicial Watch is on it. We have, um, he, he's, he talked about it at a, a security summit that Vice President Pence attended. So there's really no excuse for the American media not to have picked up on this, but Judicial Watch did. Morales said that, and this is a quote, that his administration had captured, quote, close to 100 persons completely involved with terrorists, with ISIS. And we have not only detained them within our territory, but they've been deported to their country of origin. Imagine that. Guatemala has a more effective security system with foreign nationals entering into their sovereign territory than the United States, detaining them and deporting them almost immediately. Several of the terrorists were Syrians caught with fake documents, according to Guatemala's head of intelligence. At the same event, President Morales also revealed that Guatemalan authorities captured more than 1,000 gangbangers, including members of MS-13. So this is the crowd from which caravans like this are formed. This is the threat we face on our, our southern border. It's not just the humanitarian catastrophe, because it is important. It is a security catastrophe. It is a sovereignty catastrophe. If we don't have borders, we're not a country. And uh, the left, and frankly too many Republicans, uh, are in favor of open borders. They don't want the wall built. Uh, They don't want the president to uh, take steps to secure our southern border. You had the courts improperly, in my view, intervene to prevent the so-called family separation policy, which was really a protect the children policy that the administration was forced to undertake, continuing Obama administration policy in part, where you had these so-called family units showing up at the border. They didn't know who who these kids belonged to. And of course, the, the, the adults they're with had committed crimes, so they had to be detained. And the left got apoplectic when the Justice Department and uh, immigration officials didn't want to put the kids in with their adult, uh, either parents or those who said they were their guardians. So now the solution is these families are being detained together. And of course the left is pushing against that with court help. So the courts are making it impossible nearly to uh, tamp down on the enormous pressure our law enforcement and border enforcement is facing at the southern border. We have Congress completely AWOL on it. And uh, the president's DHS, um, you know, sometimes I don't know what they're doing. Sometimes they do the right thing. Oftentimes they're telling their people on the border, don't do anything. So uh, it's, it's hit and miss uh, from the administration Congress uh, is more interested in doing amnesty. If they don't get amnesty, nothing will get done. And in the meantime, we face this crisis coming up, this caravan coming up, from a region uh, that uh, is under significant stress, both uh, internally, like in Honduras, it's a mess there, I admit, but we just cannot have tens of thousands and thousands of, of individuals flooding into our border. They just can't, it just can't be allowed to take place. The security risks are too great. And of course, it's a dangerous trek. 
You know, those of you who favor illegal immigration or purport to support illegal aliens, the first thing you would want to do, it seems to me, is shut down illegal immigration because it's a threat to the life and limb of those involved. They're trafficked, they're abused, their lives are put at risk, and going, and, and going concurrent with this immigration, illegal immigration flow is this contraband, the drug crisis, the opioid crisis. The way Washington and the media talks, you would think it's because people are being prescribed too many, too many opioids. Well, you know, that may or may not be the case. I doubt it is. The real crisis is these illegal the, the substances on the streets that are put there by the cartels that use the open border to get their drugs across, not only from Mexico but from China as well. So we need to secure the border on a, for a number of reasons. And you know, in Washington, what I'm saying is controversial. I have a feeling if you ask your friends and family, what, oh, this guy, he's, he's on, on the internet saying we should have the military secure the border. There's too much risk to the country having it unsecure. I, I would suspect most people would agree with that sentiment. Not here in Washington, though. So uh, the president can't act soon enough, in my view, to secure the border as forcefully as he can, protect the lives of Americans, protect the citizenry of this country. And if there are economic problems or, or humanitarian problems in Honduras or Guatemala or other, or, or, or other supposed sources of these um, immigrant flows, they should be addressed in those places. We cannot be the release valve for impoverished nations across the world. What is the upper limit if that's the case? Two million, three million, four million, five million? What's the upper limit? But if you believe in sovereignty, you believe the limit should be zero. No one should be crossing the border illegally. The president was elected in part on promises like that, and uh, he, he's, he's right to try to keep them. He's right to try to keep them. And by the way, we know this, what this caravan's about, too. These things are not spontaneous. They're not organic. Uh, they're planned. They're coordinated. I suspect you've got Soros uh, organizations or allied leftist groups, frankly, probably from here in the United States, uh, planning this pressure wave of illegal aliens targeting our borders. So that's why Judicial Watch is sending a team right now down to Guatemala to try to figure out what's going on and get the information directly. Because we can't trust the media uh, that actually endorses this type of behavior to do it. So your Judicial Watch is obviously doing the heavy lifting here at home, but we're also going abroad. Uh, to figure out and do our investigations into this uh, dire threat to our way of life. If we want to have a country, we have to have secure borders. If we don't want to have a country, we'll have open borders. It's that simple. And of course, as a rule of law organization, we need to enforce the rule of law. Because as soon as you say, we may not enforce the rule of law, which is what the signal is down at the border now as a result of this court interventions uh, and uh, the, the failures of Congress 
uh, to build the wall and otherwise support the president's desires to try to get things done down there. And of course, you know, DHS is a bit of a mess. That's a signal to others, get across the border. Because as of today, you get across the border, you have virtually zero chance of being detained and removed back to your home country. Those are pretty good odds if you're an illegal immigrant thinking of coming to the United States, don't you think? Those odds have got to change if we're going to secure our country. So uh, we're doing our part, and uh, we'll keep you abreast of what we find in Guatemala. If we have a report next week, I'll provide it to you. Uh, Changing the subject radically, I'm talking about the other threat to our republic, which is the mob violence and lawlessness and ethical breakdown associated with the opposition to Brett Kavanaugh to become Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. Thankfully, the Senate rejected that lawlessness, uh, did not succumb to mob rule, uh, did not let the effort to destroy ethics and destroy Kavanaugh uh, stop him from voting him, who uh, Kavanaugh, into the Supreme Court, onto the Supreme Court, for which, a position for which he was eminently qualified. But the way things work in Washington, if something happened two weeks ago, Washington doesn't want to care about it anymore. Especially if caring about it forces Washington politicians to do uncomfortable things. And the most uncomfortable thing for many Washington politicians to do is to hold uh, people to account under the law. They don't like doing it. They don't like doing investigations because it involves doing that. Uh, They don't like doing hearings because it involves doing that. And they don't like uh, requiring the Justice Department or forcing executive branch agencies to obey and follow the law in terms of uh, going after misconduct like was was uncovered a few weeks ago in the effort to destroy Kavanaugh. So that's why, again, it's up to groups like Judicial Watch or a group like Judicial Watch, since we're the only one doing it, to hold uh, uh, those who broke the rules accountable. Now, our first step in that regard was filing an ethics complaint against Cory Booker with the Senate Ethics Committee. Cory Booker, the Democrat senator from New Jersey, I think who has presidential aspirations, uh, made a fool of himself during the Kavanaugh hearings. Remember that I am Spartacus moment where he said he was going to break the rules to get the records out? Well, um, he actually didn't break the rules at that Spartacus moment, which kind of made it into a joke. But he later admitted to breaking the rules when he put records out that he wasn't allowed to under Senate rules onto the Internet. And the violation of those rules would require, if he's found liable, his expulsion from the Senate. Now, do you think the United States Senate wants to expel Cory Booker or go through that acrimony involved in doing so? No, they do not. That's, again, why they need to hear from you about enforcing the rule of law and Senate ethics rules against Cory Booker, who basically overturned the table, uh, uh, metaphorically speaking, during the Senate confirmation process of Brett Kavanaugh. So you've got this internal enforcement that's necessary, but also you had this external pressure. You had Dr. Uh, um, Ford come in and testify, and people have raised questions about her testimony, uh, rightly so. I uh, was in attendance at the hearing uh, where Ford testified, 
And it was interesting because I saw the Democrat dishonesty. Uh, the Republicans, in many ways, didn't know what to do about what was going on because it was a show trial hearing and uh, you know, they didn't want to be there. Uh, but uh, Christine Ford had a bunch of lawyers with her. And there was an interesting part of the testimony where uh, the representative for the Republicans was questioning her about whether or not she was informed that the Senate majority was willing to go out to California and visit with her and talk to her, which may have obviated the need for a hearing. And here's the testimony. The testimony is this. Remember the prosecutor, Miss Mitchell, who was questioning Ford? She wrote, was it, or she questioned her saying, was it communicated to you by your counsel or someone else that the committee had asked to interview you and that they offered to come out to California to do so? Uh, now, the lawyers interject uh, and don't want her to answer it because it might involve attorney-client privilege. So there's some back and forth, and then she finally says, I just appreciate that you did offer that. I wasn't clear on what the offer was. If you were going to come out to see me, I would have happily hosted you and had, and had you had been happy to speak with you out there. I just did not. It wasn't clear to me that was the case. Well, that's a real problem for her lawyers because under the ethical rules, her lawyers are obligated uh, to tell her of such offers. And that's why it was a Judicial Watch who this week filed an ethics complaint uh, with the Office of uh, the Board of Professional Responsibility of the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, essentially the D.C. Bar, against uh, Dr. Ford's three lawyers, Christine Ford's three lawyers, Deborah Katz, uh, Lisa J. Banks, and Michael R. Bromwich. And uh, this is what the complaint says. In not informing Christine Ford that Chuck Grassley and the Republicans offered in a letter to fly female staff investigators to meet Dr. Ford in California or anywhere else to obtain her testimony, Ford's lawyers were uh, violated the following District of Columbia Rules of Professional Conduct. Rule 1.4a, a lawyer shall keep a client reasonably informed about the status of her matter and promptly comply with reasonable requests for information. Rule 1.4b, the lawyer shall explain a matter to the extent reasonably necessary to permit the client to make informed decisions regarding the representation. I just read to you Christine Ford's testimony. Does it sound to you like her lawyers had explained to her that the Republicans would have flown anywhere, anytime, place to meet with her and take her testimony and her information? Of course not. So that's why we filed the ethics complaint. And specifically, we said, it is clear by Dr. Ford's own testimony that her attorneys did not communicate the committee's multiple offers to take her testimony in California. Despite knowing of Dr. Ford's strong preference to not to travel to D.C., it was inexcusable that Dr. Ford's attorneys should have neglected to inform her of the fact that committee investigators were willing to meet her. And as we point out, quoting the rule, Dr. Ford was thus deprived of the ability to participate intelligently in decisions concerning the objectives of the representation and the means by which they would be pursued. Okay? But, you know, just so you're clear, 
We know what this was about, and we highlight it in the letter. It looks like the lawyers subordinated their client's interest in avoiding the publicity of a Senate hearing and avoiding travel to Washington, D.C. As I've long said, this hearing did not need to take place. These allegations could have been dealt with in private in a way that would have protected Dr. Christine Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. But the leftist partisans in the Senate didn't want that to happen. And evidently they were working and had help with their lawyers, her lawyers. Again, in avoiding the publicity of a Senate hearing and avoiding travel to Washington, D.C., these interests were subordinated to the desire of Democratic senators on the committee to have such a hearing take place in Washington, D.C. And we say the failure to inform her of this was dishonest at worst and careless at best. And either way, it was inexcusable. And this is why the D.C. board, the professional responsibility, the bar, that enforces the ethics rules for lawyers here in the District of Columbia needs to take action. And again, it's just you should watch doing this. Because, look, you watch the hearing. I guarantee you, if you're watching this, you're probably watching the hearing too. I was sitting there as this testimony was given, and I saw, oh, there's problems there for her lawyers. Because if she didn't know that she could have avoided all of this because her lawyers failed to communicate with her, that's a big deal. But, of course, it's only Judicial Watch that uh, has the backbone to follow up with an ethics, an ethics complaint with the D.C. Bar. So I don't know what's going to happen next. The D.C. Bar, there are lots of ways this can go. I, I could spend an entire uh, update giving you the various permutations, but I hope the Bar aggressively pursues these charges, demands answers, and holds these lawyers accountable. So we'll see what happens. But this is not the end of Judicial Watch's efforts uh, to uh, vindicate the rule of law and our Republican form of government by holding those accountable who tried to break it wide open. We filed the ethics complaint against Cory Booker. Again, everyone in the Senate knew he violated the law or the rules, and probably the law indirectly. Everyone in the Senate knew that took place. Frankly, everyone in the world knew it because he was saying it on Twitter and taking credit for it because he thought it was a positive thing to do to break the Senate rules. But it was only Judicial Watch, only our team at Judicial Watch, that stepped up and filed the ethics complaint. You know, and, and we've got to stem the tide. You know, we talk about putting people on the border to make sure our border isn't breached to protect our country. Well, we've got to stand at the border of ethics and the rule of law collectively. And when those and stop those people from violating it. Because once the line is crossed, others will cross it. Surely after the hearing you had Hillary Clinton talk about not being civil. You had Eric Holder, the corrupt Obama Attorney General, talking about when they go low, we kick them. Calls for violence and intimidation by leading leftists in the Democratic Party. And sure enough, it's happening. Candidates are being attacked. 
and violence is the new watchword, or the air of violence, I would say, is the new arrow in the quiver, or one that's always been there, in my view, by, by the hardcore left. But to have the establishment politicians take up this, this, uh, this uh, threat of violence as a rhetorical device and as something they promote is, is something that ought to be disheartening to every American citizen, if you value the future of the country. So um, this is why Judicial Watch are, are, are taking these steps. Basic steps that, again, no one else is willing to take. But we do it on your behalf, and we do it because it's the right thing to do. And to that end, uh, speaking of Hillary Clinton, Judicial Watch is in court again this week. We have new documents about Hillary Clinton and the email scandal. Uh, first up are new documents we received about the sham investigation that the FBI conducted under Barack Obama into the Clinton email issue. You remember James Comey, Peter Strzok, and Lisa Page, Andrew McCabe, Loretta Lynch, with the advice of Bill Clinton at that tarmac meeting, perhaps? They ran the sham investigation into the Clinton email scandal. And uh, one of the ways we know it was a sham because they found hundreds of thousands of emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Anthony Weiner, the husband of, then husband of uh, Yuma Abedin, a Hillary Clinton aide who also had an email account on Hillary Clinton's secret email server. And they didn't do anything about it. And we've got the smoking gun. We just received it from the FBI and the Justice Department. And it was a document in an October 3rd, 2016 email from an FBI official to uh, someone in the Southern District of New York, uh, at least an, another FBI colleague of theirs in the Southern District of New York. And to take you a step back, they discovered the emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop that were Clinton-related in September of 2016. They didn't tell Congress about it till October 27th of 2016. They didn't begin looking at the emails until that time either, so they sat on them for a month. Why? Because the Inspector General of the Justice Department, in looking at the issue, thought maybe that Peter Strzok's anti-Trump hatred had him focused more on trying to take down Trump than trying to enforce the rule of law against Hillary Clinton. Of course, Peter Strzok and Hillary Clinton's uh, agents, like Christopher Steele and Glenn Simpson and Nellie Orr, were working together. Of course, the IG didn't go that far, but that's the reality. So what a scandal that was. But as I said, we've got the smoking gun. The document says, just putting this on the record because of the optics of this case. So when you have an FBI guy put something on the record, it means he's worried. It means he's worried nothing's being done, and he's documenting the decisions made by his supervisors and those in charge to not do anything. During the course of my review of a computer seized from Anthony Weiner, a seizure in search of which was authorized by a Southern District of New York search warrant, I encountered approximately at least 340,000 emails stored on the computer. The large number of emails appears to be a result of a mail client program installed on that computer that pulled emails from servers belonging to Anthony Weiner and Yuma Abedin. A significant number of three 340,000 emails appeared to be between Aberdeen and Hillary Clinton, the latter who appears to have used a 
number of different email addresses. So they found these Clinton emails with Aberdeen, and Hillary Clinton had multiple email addresses. This is based simply on a review of the header information. I did not review the contents of these emails, as the warrant only authorized me to view items that would give me probable cause to believe that CP, child pornography, because that was why they were looking at the Wiener laptop to begin with, although they should have been looking at it for other reasons, namely Abedin's involvement with Hillary Clinton, but you can't expect the FBI to follow basic leads when they're trying to cover up a, a criminal enterprise like this. Again, he only authorized me to, the warrant only authorized me to view items that would give me probable cause to believe that child pornography evidence may reside therein. SDNI, the Southern District of New York, is comfortable with me continuing, continuing my review as I have, meaning he's not reading the emails, which is to not read any emails from Anthony Weiner to which his wife or a possible attorney is a party. So they weren't looking, he didn't want to look at Weiner slash Wiener to Aberdeen and vice versa emails. Even if there is a third party on those emails, I will not review their content out of an abundance of caution. So he's not looking at another whole other group of emails. Obviously, this is the kicker, I will not review any emails to which Anthony Wiener is not a party, such as emails between Miss Aberdeen and Mrs. Clinton. I just wanted to formally bring this to your attention due to the pending election, the ongoing congressional investigation into the FBI's own investigation, into Mrs. Clinton's email activities, etc. Okay, this is a document that Judicial Watch obtained. It was not produced voluntarily by the Justice Department or the FBI. We had to sue for it. It was not obtained by Congress, and it was not obtained by the media. And it shows you that the FBI, in October of 2016, there was someone upset enough to put on the record that I found all these Clinton emails and I'm not looking at them and we know that's what you don't want, you know that's what you want me to do. And frankly, it was only the prospect of that cover-up being leaked that caused James Comey to alert Congress that there were emails to be looked at. And then once that happened, it's been subsequently reported that all the emails that this gentleman found, I'm assuming it's a gentleman, it could have been a, a female agent, were not reviewed. So there are still Clinton emails that were not reviewed. And as I pointed out from the Wiener laptop, by all accounts, and as I pointed out to you before, only 5,000 of the 33,000 emails that Hillary Clinton deleted or otherwise tried to hide from the American people were uncovered by the FBI. Is it any surprise that was the case when you see a document like this where they've got this mother load of emails and the agent who knows about it says, I can't look at them or I'm not going to look at them? because I know you don't want me to. Pretty incredible stuff. And again, it shows you why the Justice Department needs to immediately reopen the Clinton email scandal, uh, the Clinton email investigation. What is Jeff Sessions waiting for? What is Rod Rosenstein waiting for? What is Christopher Wray writing for? They know the FBI investigation previously was a sham investigation. They know that Comey's excuses not to prosecute or recommend a prosecution for Hillary Clinton were fraudulent and corrupt. They know the whole investigation was compromised by anti-Trump bias and pro-Hillary Clinton bias. They know the Justice Department and the FBI that was supposed to be investigating with Hillary Clinton was actually collaborating with her campaign to try to destroy Donald Trump by gathering intelligence from foreign sources, including but not limited to Russia. 
and then using this intelligence that was just, just designed, it wasn't accurate, but designed to smear Trump to justify spy warrants and spying operations against President Trump's team, or then candidate Trump's team, and later President Trump's team under Robert Mueller. The Justice Department is a mess. It's an absolute mess on this issue of the Clinton scandal and the attendant and related Russia scandal. Because the Russia scandal gives them an excuse not to investigate the Clinton scandal, don't you know it? There's news this week that Rod Rosenstein uh, is going to be questioned, or was going to be questioned, by Congress about his role in the effort to overthrow President Trump. Remember, there was this report a few weeks ago that he and Andrew McCabe, the acting FBI director at the time, had a meeting uh, at which uh, it was supposedly, according to Rosenstein, but no one else seems to think it was a joke, uh, that uh, Rosenstein or others interviewing for the FBI job of Fire Director Comey wear a wire, that they pursue the 25th Amendment, and that they appoint a special counsel. Rosenstein has yet to be questioned directly on that. And just today, it's being reported that he's agreed to be questioned only if there are two Republicans and two Democrats doing the questioning, and that those Republicans who have been following this, like Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows, people like that, they're not going to be allowed to question him. So they're going to give a special favor to Rosenstein, treat him differently than they would any other witness by preventing Republicans from, uh, who know what's going on from doing the questioning. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired, and I don't, I don't care who's questioning him in private at these, this point. I am tired of these private interviews. I want public accountability. I want public hearings. Because they've had a series of interviews that we still don't know what happened at. And I'll tell you, this is why Judicial Watch does what we do. We do not rely on Congress. We can't rely on Congress. This is why Judicial Watch does its own investigations, does its own lawsuits, because we don't trust Congress to do the right thing. Congress is under no obligation to make information they recover available to the American people. We do it as a matter of course. We're in court. We get the documents, you get to see the documents. That's not what happens in Congress. We have depositions, and unless we're told otherwise, we make them public. Testimony is made public. Judicial Watch is doing the job the American people expect Congress to do. And I keep on pointing, because I'm pointing to the House of Representatives, which we can see from our offices here. And to that end, Judicial Watch is still doing the heavy lifting on the Clinton email scandal. I told you about the document we just uncovered. Now, Hillary Clinton is in the middle of her email scandal, if truth be told. Now, I know the Justice Department doesn't want to do anything. I know the State Department doesn't want to do anything. I know Congress doesn't want to do much of anything. But you know what? There are some courts who are interested in doing something. And it's because of Judicial Watch's litigation that's causing these courts to be interested. Next month, we'll be in court before Judge Sullivan. 
over questions that we submitted to Hillary Clinton under oath, written questions that she didn't want to answer. We're seeking to compel her to answer. So her lawyers will be there. And we also have a specific request to bring her in under oath, have her testify in person before Judge Royce Lamberth. Uh, And this is in the Benghazi scandal uh, lawsuit that we have that was thwarted by uh, by the FOIA games or the Clinton email games the State Department and Hillary Clinton engaged in. The uh, hearing took place last week, and I told you Judge Lamberth was unhappy, but I didn't have the transcript, so I was going by memory, so it's never nearly as dramatic as reading it from the transcript, but I had the transcript here, and the transcript was uh, pretty incredible. So as uh, to bring you back to the moment, I'm there with our lawyer, Ramona Kotka. Uh, there are two Justice Department attorneys on the other side, a relatively empty courtroom. There may have been a reporter or two and uh, some of our colleagues there. And the judge comes out, and he starts talking. And Judge Lamberth, who's been on the court for some time and seen a lot of government corruption, including uh, cases that Judicial Watch has pursued with him, he says uh, almost immediately, i got to put my glasses on so I can see far enough away, put on my disguise here. <clears throat> the case started with a motion for summary judgment here, and I, which I've denied and allowed limited discovery. Now, summary judgment is generally the government will file a motion for summary judgment saying, look, we gave Judicial Watch everything, nothing else to look at, nothing else to give them, everything withheld is proper. You should summarily, you should summarily issue a judgment or, uh, you know, you should grant our summary judgment motion and end the case. So Judge Lambert says, no, I didn't, I didn't buy into that. He says, which I denied and allowed limited discovery because it was clear to me at the time that I ruled initially, and this was two years ago, that false statements were made to me by career State Department officials and it became more clear through discovery that the information that I was provided was clearly false regarding the adequacy of the search in this, what we now turned out to be the Secretary's email system, Hillary Clinton's. I don't know the details of what kind of IG inquiry there was into why these career officials at the State Department would have filed false affidavits with me. I don't know the details of why the Justice Department lawyers did not know false affidavits were being filed with me, and I was very relieved that I did not accept them, and I allowed limited discovery into what had happened. So he was happy he was not gamed (laughs) and didn't end the case. And then later he writes, I've been waiting, I was waiting most for the IG report from the Justice Department Inspector General. That's the IG report I referenced earlier. I did print out and read that 500-page report when I got it, and I was actually dumbfounded when I found out in reading that report that Cheryl Mills, Hillary Clinton's top aide at the State Department, had been given immunity because I had in an earlier case called Alexander versus FBI that Judicial Watch had pursued. I had myself found that Cheryl Mills had committed perjury and lied under oath in a published opinion I had issued in a Judicial Watch case where I found her unworthy of belief, and I was quite shocked to find she had been given immunity in by the Justice Department in the Hillary Clinton email case. So I did not know that until I read the IG report and learned that, and she had accompanied the secretary to her interview. So he was dumbfounded. And then we had the Justice Department spend the next 
20 to 30 minutes trying to argue with the judge why the Justice Department, State Department didn't lie to him. I don't, you don't need to be a lawyer to know you don't want to be in that position before a federal court judge. The State Department told me it produced all records when it moved for summary judgment when you filed that motion. That was not true when the motion was filed. At the time, we had produced all, the lawyer says in response. It was not true. Yes, it was. Well, Your Honor, it might have been that our search could not be inadequate, but the declaration was absolutely true. It was not true. It was a lie. It was not a lie, Your Honor. Well, that's doublespeak. There's a strong precedent saying that items not in the State Department's possession did not need to be searched. And that's because the Secretary was doing this on a private server, so it wasn't in the State's possession. So you're playing the same word game she played? That was what's in the court transcript that I just read you. Pretty incredible material, isn't it? You know, when he granted our limited discovery back in 2016, this is what he wrote. When there is evidence of government wrongdoing and bad faith, as here, wrongdoing and bad faith, we at least had a federal court judge say something more substantial than James Comey and Loretta Lynch. Limited discovery is appropriate. Judicial Watch is certainly entitled to dispute the State Department's position it has no obligation to produce these documents because it did not possess or control them at the time the FOIA request was made. This is what the State Department was saying under Obama, and it's saying now, that because Hillary Clinton, with the State Department's implicit approval, had taken 60,000 emails away, destroyed half of them, they didn't have to look for them because they weren't in their custody or control. Boy, that's one way to destroy FOIA, isn't it? The State Department's willingness to now search documents voluntarily turned over to the Department by Secretary Clinton and other officials hardly transformed such a search into an adequate or reasonable one. Judicial Watch is not relying on speculation or surmise, he uses the quotes the government uses, as the State Department claims. Judicial Watch is relying on constantly shifting admissions by the government and the former government officials. Constantly shifting admissions by the State Department and Hillary Clinton. That's how that translates to. So you can read the entire transcript on our Judicial Watch internet site at judicialwatch.org. But I encourage you to do so. Now, Judge Lambert did not rule on our discovery motion at the hearing. He's going to go back and see if the government um, has any case to be made, presumably, to stop discovery from going forward. But you've got to understand, the State Department, under Secretary Pompeo, and I don't blame Pompeo directly for this. He may not know about it, uh, but he ought to know about it, is protecting Hillary Clinton. They don't want additional questions asked of Hillary Clinton, and they don't want additional uh, questions asked of Cheryl Mills, who Judge Lambert excoriated here. And they don't want additional questions asked at the State Department. So they're protecting Hillary Clinton, and the institution of the State Department is protecting itself, the deep staters, from having to answer for their enabling and complicity and conspiracy with Hillary Clinton to avoid FOIA and destroy government records. She had no right to take those emails. She had no right to destroy them. They, declined, they contained classified information, numerous potential criminal acts by Hillary Clinton. And the Justice Department 
is happily representing the State Department's legal position here. So just Sessions needs to be held accountable here, too, and the leadership of the Justice Department. And you know what? None of these top officials at the State Department or the Justice Department or the other agencies we've been battling Hillary Clinton over, none of them would have their jobs in large measure but for Judicial Watch uncovering this Clinton email scandal. It changed the course of history. It contributed as much as anything to Hillary Clinton not winning the presidency. The American people were outraged about it, and I know they still are outraged about it. I am surprised that how many Americans still want justice and accountability over what Hillary Clinton did. But these bureaucrats and appointed officials don't want to do one thing about it. They don't. And we all know the president is interested in doing this, I think. But the agencies don't want to do anything. So uh, hopefully our litigation spurs some forward movement here. We're going to get more accountability the best way we're able to, given the limited resources we have. But it sure would be nice to have the Justice Department on our side. It sure would be nice to have the State Department on our side and on the side of the American people and holding Hillary Clinton to account. Wouldn't it? It would be nice to have Congress do some more work here. But they don't want to do it either. So, uh, once again, it's up to Judicial Watch. So, uh, we'll try to do the work for you. Uh, Our lawyers are working hard in court. We had three court hearings in the last two weeks on the Clinton email issue alone. We have another court hearing next month. So as I said, right in the middle of the Clinton email scandal. And the left would like you to believe, the leftist media, the Clinton accolades, and frankly a lot of Republicans would like you to just get over it. Well, we're not going to get over it because this is a fundamental rule of law question. So with that, we'll be working hard for you over the next few weeks on this issue. A lot of Russia deep state things coming to a head as well. I'll talk about that with you next week. And... uh, And, of course, we'll have the report from Central America on this caravan-slash-invasion of the United States as well from our team on the ground there as well. So pray for them when they're down there uh, as they do the investigations on behalf of you, the American people. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.